Wapping Project is a, a vision which encapsulates new work, the commissioning of writers, poets, choreographers, composers, filmmakers, video makers and photographers. Hello and welcome to this edition of Pass Forward, the Wapping Project at 20. This is the podcast series created by uh, the Wapping Project, exploring all aspects of its remarkable cultural history. My name is Gareth Evans, I'm your host for the uh, series and I'm delighted for this particular episode to be in conversation with the Finnish photographic and moving image artist Elena Brotherus. Elena, welcome to you. Hi Gareth, nice to speak to you. It's great to have you with us. Now you're coming to us from Helsinki today. And of course, the uh, Finnish aspect of your work is something that we have enjoyed in many, many different incarnations of uh, work that you have produced. In fact, the most enduring artist relationship with the Wapping Project in its uh, different identities across the years. Now we've got a lot to talk about in this episode and uh, obviously many, many different projects that you have engaged with uh, over the years uh, across all uh, lineups of the project, as I've mentioned. Now, could you just take us back, right back, to when you first met the late great Jules Wright. Can you recall that moment and, and how the meeting developed? I like the way that uh, you call her the late great Jules Wright. Although I must say Jules was never late. She was always early, <laughs> um, particularly in you know discovering and sort of recognizing people at the very early, like almost like immature stage, now I'm speaking about myself, of course, because when I first encountered her, I was a recent graduate from art school. I was like, you know, a year ago, perhaps I had got my master's degree. And I was in this group show that was being prepared for the new art gallery, Walsall. And the Wapping mm -hmm. Project had just opened recently, like the same year. And the curator of my Walsall show she got the idea that, you know, perhaps the Whopping Project could be interested in what I was doing. So she arranged, mm -hmm. she managed to arrange a meeting with Jules. And I very well remember that first encounter because I was, I was, you know, I was just at the beginning of everything. And we were sitting at this table in the building. Jules was there. The meeting was brief. I don't remember what exactly was said, but um, I remember that she said, like, I don't show photo photographs on the wall. That was like one thing. I was like, oh, okay, so maybe, you know, I'm the wrong person here. But then she said also, make me a proposal. And then I took the brochure. She had this brochure about the building showing the boiler house and the, and the restaurant side. So I took that, we went out. I remember the curator saying like, I can't believe she made us pay for our coffees, <laughs> <laughs> which, which she did. And, and you know, then because I was young enough and naive enough, I actually made her that proposal. Yeah. Because you know, if nowadays somebody would say like, make me a proposal, I would say like, yeah, yeah, sure. Like why bother? They wouldn't you know, look at it anyway. But what I actually did, because I had a computer, but I didn't have a printer, and I was you know, very bad at, at any technological things. So I cut pictures out of her brochure, <laughs> a picture of the boiler house, and then I made little drawings that I glued on that picture, uh, presenting video projections that I would like to show in the space. And then I put that in an envelope, and I sent it to her. Uh, 
and uh, and then she got back to me and she did propose a show to me which was incredible I mean back then I didn't realize how incredible it was but but indeed like being somebody who never did any major video piece before I had done one video before which was like a one channel single channel kind of easy small piece and here I was proposing a three channel like monumental piece and she said okay <laughs> and then I proposed another piece for the rooftop because she said like I remember she said um, so no pictures on the walls the whole building is a canvas so she took me to the rooftop as well and and there were these water tanks that had been used when the building was still a hydraulic power station and that struck me I thought mm, this is interesting what if we filled the tank with water again and then I would place this huge landscape like a light box uh, next to it so that it would reflect on the water like a landscape would reflect on the water surface like a lake or something and and she said okay <laughs> can you imagine <laughs> No, but this is a perfect Jules Wright story, of course. And, and you know, you're obviously, you know, clearly a kindred spirit to her way of working. And she recognises that. I can imagine um, if I was sitting in on the on the moment when she opened your envelope with the proposal that she would have loved the fact that you had cut out, um, you know, the room and, and put your own work in there as, as part of the uh, proposition. And that's well, she told me later that she found it both like annoying and amusing. She was she was kind of struck by the, you know, this outrageous young artist who just goes and cuts her exactly. pressure. Exactly, but I do, yeah, exactly. But I think there's that in that in that tension is the great creativity that she brought to, you know, so many collaborations and of course to many many with you. No, that's tremendous. So now tell us if you could a little bit about that work because that was called Spring, wasn't it? And you were you were shortlisted, you know, again as you said, you know, just out of, of of graduation, you know, with this opportunity that kind of came to you by chance, and then you were shortlisted with it for the uh, Citibank Prize, now the Deutsche Börse Prize. Exactly. Yes. Um... Spring became out of this desire uh, of somebody who has just moved to a very big city. I, was, I moved to, to Paris from Finland and I had experienced my first French winter, which was horrible. It was just like grey and raining all the time. And I was asking my boyfriend, like, you know, when is the spring supposed to come in this country? And he said, um, I don't know, but it might have already arrived in in Bretagne, in Brittany. <laughs> so then we rented a car and we drove to, to Brittany to, in search of the spring. And on that trip, I, I shot all the videos and it was still raining half of the time. So there's a lot of very rainy footage. Actually, I, I split my footage into three. Uh, so it's a triptych. The first part is called rain. The second one is oak tree forest. And the third one is flood because mm -hmm. the, the, um, the Loire uh, River was badly flooding at the time. So I, was, I had been interested in horizons in my photographic work already before. So this piece sort of took the horizon and put it into a flowing movement, like sideways movement, because I shot it like mainly from the side window of the car. So it's all like just kind of like flowing past the spectator. And then the three parts are not of the same length, which means that when they, when they loop continuously, they produce new permutations all the time. Mm -hmm. And then we had um, 
I made a soundtrack which was mainly composed of, you know, rain sound, wind sound, etc., and the occasional skylark and blackbird. That's my favorite birds, so they are visiting uh, twice uh, in the footage. And, and then what happened also because of the, the rooftop work, where we did manage actually to fill the water tank, um, but it wasn't leak-proof. I mean, it was so old, it was kind of rusty or something. So, so water was filtering through the building and there was like actual real rain in the space of the video, which nobody <laughs> could have anticipated, but it was like a really beautiful way of tying the two pieces or the two parts of the installation together. That is tremendous. I mean, that's incredibly evocative. And of course, it makes real sense that you're displaying such a work in, you know, in that venue, because of course, it's very close uh, to the River Thames. And I believe the lower levels, the subterranean levels of the building and the site more generally often got flooded, you know, as part of the, the river's kind of spillage. So the idea of, of a, a kind of fluid in every sense, creatively and, and actually a fluid environment, you know, that you were working within uh, makes complete sense. And that idea of synchronicity and chance, you know, is, 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 is perfect. It was such a fantastic way to work with Jules also because she was such an enabler. You know, I mm. came up with the idea and then she said like, okay, let's do this. And she would be the person who, you know, sets everything up, you know, contract, contacts all the people and contracts all the people who were necessary to produce this thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember I was in Brussels in a residency and she was, you know, she kept sending these, these uh, funny little text messages to me. I just happened to find two of them in my archives. She wrote, for instance, ever seen a whole lot of men with furrowed rows walking around an eight by three meter object, each one in a world of his own, some chewing gum, Others dragging too deeply on the cigarettes. Anxiety now at level ten. I'm calm. <laughs> <laughs> she was she was calm. And then another one. Now there are seven worried firemen here who are going to fill the tank. Two hundred and forty <laughs> tons of water. So that was Jules. Yeah, fantastic. No, I mean, that's a very, very vivid uh, picture you paint of, of her interaction and her calmness in the centre of this of this kind of maelstrom of activity. No, it's tremendous. Now, obviously, very quickly after that, um, in, in, relative, in relative terms, you, you were back in the Wapping Project, of course, with your 2004 uh, uh, work, Baigneur. Now, how did that come about? That was also a three-screen installation, but this time, as opposed to being inside, this was outside, wasn't it? Yes, I can't remember how it happened. Um, we must have stayed in contact with Jules ever since the first show. Um, and then I must have, maybe I was in London, or maybe I told her about this new video that I was working on. Anyway, I must have shown her some footage and she said, let's make this. Um, it was the same idea in a way than in spring that I wanted to bring something from the, you know, the, the different time of the year into the winter of London. Because spring, obviously, was also shown like, I don't know, December or something. It was in midwinter. And so was Benjeur, which was shot in Finland during um, one summer, like early summer till late summer, often at night uh, with these like beautiful, placid lakes where people, my friends, uh, went swimming. So it was like a very sort of almost like a Warholian movie about one 
simple theme. You know, somebody goes to water, swims a bit, comes back, and then cut another place, other people, etc. And silent, no sound. So, um, so we decided to do this, and the idea was that precisely we want to bring it like into the city, into an urban environment in midwinter. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to project actually on the outer walls of the power station. Which of course there was like there was two major problems. First is that it was red brick. Mm-hmm. So you can't project on such a dark surface. So Josh would have to build these huge screens. He was building like 12 meter screens on a on a wooden frame that he would then attach onto the walls. <laughs> and then the, the second problem was that because the bathers are all nude. Mm-hmm. So Jules had to summon a group of policemen who would come to watch the video footage with us first before they would allow us to show it because it was like in, in a public setting and, and they were worried about, you know, if it's, if it's obscene, if it's, if it's indecent and can we, can we project uh, possibly this kind of footage in a place where there's a lot of, you know, people of Muslim origin, for instance. But Jules was saying, like, she, she told me, like, okay, whatever they say, we'll do it, and, you know, we stand behind it, etc. Like, let's make a scandal here. I think she actually, she liked the challenge, I think. Thank you very much indeed. Now, in terms of how work comes to you at, at the Whopping Project or anywhere else, what is the, uh, the kind of pattern, if there is one, to a work manifesting as a series of pho- uh, photographs, a photographic project, or a moving image project? Is there a a kind of identity to 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 which medium uh, will hold the work in question or an idea as you as you develop it quite often i work uh, on both media for the same topic or same subject matter for instance the bathers i actually also at whopping i did also a series of photographs that were then they were shown in the in the boiler house in the big space mm-hmm. but not on the walls so they were hung like in mid air and and lit with the theater spotlights in a very sort of like very dramatic way in this pitch dark space. They were kind of like floating in midair. So yes, this is something typical of me that I use both media kind of looking onto the same thing, but with kind of two different eyes, two two sets of eyes or two different uh, points of view or shedding sort of, because you know, it's not the same thing if you have a fixed image or a moving image, mm-hmm. even if the subject matter is the same, because the moving image is somehow so much more realistic. I think that the still image is always like a, it's like a tableau, which is something that we kind of can distance ourselves from more easily. But the moving image is mm-hmm. somehow, it's like, you know, like, sounds like really kind of, flat but it's it's like life it's lifelike and it can also be almost like uncanny in its realism mm-hmm. but i'm i'm interested in that sort of glitch between the two media and often i don't even know which one will be the one shown or if both will be um and often it's so that it's either or in one exhibition but sometimes curators actually they want to show like clearly the difference between them so that they actually place them next to each other in the exhibition space. That has happened. Mm-hmm. 
No, that's interesting, isn't it? Because obviously the next two encounters that you had with uh, the Whopping Project were, I think, uh, with Video Works uh, as part of a, a group show in 2008. The group show was called Refuge, uh, and you were showing a piece, uh, My Happiness is Round, from the year before. And then um, as part of Marta's uh, Un Undiscovered Landscapes project in uh, 2011, Marta Mikulowska, of course, now co-director of the Whopping Project with uh, with Thomas Zanon Larcher, and then working very closely uh, with Jules in the building, um, you had a piece uh, in, in her show in 2011. So the, the idea, of course, of a continuing relationship, if not at a, a solo show level, um, was clearly in place. And, and, and between those two group shows, um, she started uh, to represent you at Wapping Project Bankside, her other space um, along the river and on the other side, on the south bank of the Thames, uh, and in fact launched the gallery with your exhibition. So that's a major commitment, of course. I mean, she really obviously is very passionate about your work at this point and really wants to support you going forward. So how did that feel, you know, that idea of that endorsement, of course, from Jules, but also just the, the chance to keep working with her now in a slightly different context? Yeah, um... The gallery, I think she started the gallery because the problem with the, with the, the power station was that she was always like doing these major fundraising projects. Like she, she got so much money, uh, but it was always for the commissions, for the project, and, and all yeah. the money went into the production. So the gallery was supposed to be like her pension fund, in a way. Yes. Like that herself and the artists were, would be able to actually get some money from the work, to get something kind of back from what they've been investing in. And I think she, she also enjoyed to, this as a means to kind of stay together with all those photogra photographers or, or filmmakers that she had worked with at the power station and then to be able to do something with them again in another setting, maybe a more intimate mm -hmm. level because the space was smaller and, and there she was happy to also to hang pieces on the walls and to, you know, she was, she wanted to do art fairs and all that kind of regular like commercial gallery stuff. And I, yeah, it was, it was good. We had like a, we had a couple of shows. I also had a show when, when she finally closed the space uh, at the bank side and moved it to, to the Mayfair because of all the, the refurbishing and all the development of the area in Bankside, it started to be like really uncomfortable to be there with all the mm -hmm. construction sites around. So the Mayfair space, that was a very interesting space as well. But I don't remember how many shows she had time to do there, maybe only three, four, mm -hmm. probably not more than that. So I really, I'm, I'm sad that she didn't get to do it longer. I'm sure I would still be working with her if she, if she was still here. Absolutely, I'm, I'm sure there's no doubt of that at all. And I, and I also had have a memory of the of the Mayfair space, you know, which I remember being very distinctive. And again, it's a, it, there's a sense of a kind of what if about that, which you've described very poignantly, I think. Now, in terms of your ongoing relationship with the Whopping Project, obviously um, uh, outside of, of Jules uh, personally, that has continued in a very significant way, of course, because in 2016, um, you started to bring work um, into being that uh, formed uh, part of a residency and engagement with Aman uh, in a project uh, which had the larger title of Resonance. Now, this, I think, was the first time that you'd been to the Middle East. And, and I wonder if you could describe the kind of the the impulse towards the work in, in that encounter, but also what it was like to actually take, you know, your own way of working and, and the, the kind of work that you're, you focus on into that very different territory. Well, first of all, I must say that I'm, I'm very grateful and very happy that Martin and Thomas are continuing the Whopping Project 
it was horrible when Jules passed away. We were all like, yeah, we were devastated and, and we all miss her very much. Um, but the way Marta and Thomas and Josh are continuing the legacy of the Whopping Project in this, like its new form, like the Whopping 2.0, mm -hmm. um, it feels right. It feels like, you know, it's some, it's a very meaningful way to, to continue. And I'm sure Jules would approve of, of what we're doing and what they are doing now. Um, you know, I still keep receiving because now it's Martha and Thomas who are commissioning me. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but at the same time, I feel like it's, it's payback time also because, you know, we can, we can pay back for the good things that we all got during Jules's time. So I can also give now, I can share as a tutor, as a mentor, with women artists who come from another kind of setting. Um, Jules started to commission pieces from women theater makers, didn't she? Mm -hmm. That was what the Women's Playhouse Trust was all about. And yes. at the Whopping Project, she worked with a lot of female artists. Also guys, I mean, I, do, I don't think she, she had any problem working with guys either, but, but I think that she, in a way, she taught us that as a woman artist, it's going to be harder mm -hmm. for us to sort of to, to break, to break even, to to sustain a living uh, as a practicing artist, and uh, you have to be a little bit of a fighter to make it. And in this sense, it really makes um, makes sense to me to now be able to work. Uh, with Martha and Thomas in the um, in the Gulf region, I was in Oman with them, and and they they did projects in other countries of the region, uh, and especially to sort of help local women artists in their way to kind of reach a bigger audience, maybe get their work uh, shown abroad, and to to gain that courage and self-esteem that you need to have in order to survive as an artist. No, thank you very much. And I, and I like that idea um, that you described so well of, of a kind of exchange. You know, it's not just a financial exchange, but it's a creative, it's a personal exchange. And it's one about paying back and paying forward in, in terms of uh, bringing on uh, new generations, particularly of women artists. And of course, uh, in Amman, it makes a particular, uh, 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 you know, relevance and uh, it has a particular relevance and importance, of course, given um, you know, the, the extra challenges that women artists will face there, perhaps. And so that project obviously was a significant one for you. It, it gave you a new geographical perspective as well. Now, looking back at you, obviously over this, this uh, 20 years nearly now, I guess, uh, since you first encountered the Whopping Project, uh, and with this significant show uh, at the beginning of your professional career, I guess it would be it would be perhaps maybe a little too easy for me to say that what you learnt uh, in in staging the Whopping Project exhibitions um, has kind of completely informed everything you've done since then. But can you identify now, looking back, a, a kind of sense or a series of attitudes that you you might have gained from uh, from that process that have taken you forward into your many projects? Well, since I think then? one very important lesson is that. Um, when you give that kind of a trust to people that Jules did, then you make them perform at their very best. So that's how I feel that happened to me. I grew up as an artist when she, you know, completely 
trusted me in, you know, in my ability of, of tackling this, this huge task to make like such a monumental piece in her building. Um, yeah, also, I think that Jules's attitude in general, you know, maybe I know that she liked me. I felt that she liked me. Uh, I must have been a very naive person back then because I was so young also, but I was very hardworking. And I think mm -hmm. that's something that she appreciated because she was very hardworking. She was always working. Mm. And, you know, she didn't hesitate to be a waiter in her own restaurant. And, you know, people didn't always know that their waiter is, in fact, the artistic director of the place. Yeah. You know, there's all, all these stories. Uh, also, I remember once I was, I can't remember which show it was, whether it was Spring or Denier, but um, I was there hanging at the bar and then uh, there comes this guy who had just seen my exhibition and he comes to me and we talk and beautiful insights, like good conversation and uh, you know, then he goes away and I, I asked Jules like, who was that guy? And she said, you won't believe me, but that guy came to repair the oven of the kitchen. So that was a beautiful lesson also, like never underestimate anybody. I think that's one thing that she also taught me. like. You know, people are clever. You just have to give them a chance. Absolutely. It's a great lesson. And, and uh, thank you for sharing that with us. Now, it's fascinating that you mentioned, of course, uh, Jules's sort of secret role as a waiter in the restaurant and, and perhaps the clientele not quite knowing uh, what else she does in the building. And I believe you, you've you uh, got a great story. I think perhaps Jules herself told you about the, uh, the, the distinctive first night uh, when the restaurant opened. And I wonder if you could share that with us. Actually, I wasn't there myself, but I remember somebody told me the story. It might have been Jules herself. Um, you know, they just opened. It was the first night and they had a huge crowd. I don't know how the people had got to know about this new restaurant and everybody was curious. So they had like completely full house. And then they were just like, Ooh, how are we going to cook for all these people? And they were just like struggling and it took so long time. People were hungry, they were waiting and they waited like for an hour and more and more. And then suddenly there's this man who stands up like banging his fist and saying like, this is the worst fucking restaurant I've ever been to. <laughs> and I don't remember who the guy was. Martha would know, and uh, but actually he became like a good friend and a loyal customer for the rest of the time of the Whopping Project. <laughs> no, that's a great turnaround as well, exactly. And and uh, obviously the first night, I can imagine Jules uh, and, and uh, him locking eyes and then obviously moving forward to a much more productive uh, interaction. That's a tremendous story. Thank you very much indeed for that. Now, I'd like to draw listeners' attention, of course, to the fact that you can find uh, an incredible range of Alina's work on her, uh, on her very, very fully populated and extremely um, uh, interesting and informative website, of course, under her own name. Please also track her work on the Whopping Project's own website, where you'll find details of the commissions, the residences, and all else in the various sections uh, as you would expect to find them. Thank you so much, Alina. That's been a really tremendous journey through uh, two decades of your engagement with Jules, of course, the Whopping Project, the building, and now with Thomas and Marta in their wider commissions. It's been a real pleasure to hear uh, your very personal stories about how you've engaged with uh, with Jules and her commissioning, and uh, and clearly uh, the respect was mutual. It's been a, it's been a, a wonderful encounter, I think, that has come across very vividly to all of us. Thank you, Gareth. And um, I have been very lucky to be able to work with somebody like Jules Wright. I think every artist should have their Jules Wright. 
I couldn't agree more. That's a great way to put it. Thank you very much indeed, Alina. Thank you. Now, in the uh, next episode of Pass Forward, The Whopping Project 20, I will be in conversation uh, with Mireille McLean around her work. This has been uh, focused on the Outer Hebrides in terms of her Whopping Project engagements, but she's very much an artist in, in the spirit uh, of Elena uh, with a geographical and a, a cross-media practice um, that uh, makes her very much one of the artists that Jules Wright and The Whopping Project like to support. So I do hope you can join me. Uh, in the next episode of Fast Forward, The Whopping Project at 20. Thank you very much indeed for listening now, and I wish you a very good day and goodbye. <laughs>